Uh, we're in this series called, uh, called Grace at Work, and I'm really, really excited about this, this sermon, about this topic this morning. I don't know if you're like me, but I, I'm just going to tell you, I have learned a lot about the issue of grace and what grace looks like in our life and how grace works itself out in our life. And so that this, this, this morning, we're going to look at the subject of healing grace and how God's grace heals us, heals our memories, heals our past, heals our present, and heals our, our future. And so, and so we want to understand this in a very biblical way. There, there's something that I discovered uh, in my study when I was walking through preparing for this that, you know what, I, I've never ever seen before in Scripture. And it like, in my study, it was like God rested there. It was like, it was like an aha moment. And so this is also encouragement to every one of us that we understand we're all on a journey together. And this is why we never quit reading Scripture. This is why we never quit studying Scripture, whether you're a pastor in seminary and, and pastor in a church, whether you're in ministry, whether you've been a Christian a short time or a long time. We're all growing and developing because His Word is living. His Word is active. And He has something to tell us at every stage of our journey in the spiritual growth. And so that's why life journaling is so important. And oh, by the way, if you get a life journal today, they're orange. They're bronco orange. So... <laughs> So if you need a life journal, it's be an awesome time for you to for you to pick one up on your way out. And so we're going to look at Paul's life. We're going to look at a group of scripture, First Timothy chapter one, verse twelve, verse twelve through seventeen. Paul, just a little bit about Paul, was once called Saul before he met Christ. He was Saul. God changed his life and changed his name to Paul. Paul's testimony, or Saul's testimony, was very dark. Uh, he had a difficult testimony. He uh, he he had murdered. Uh, he tried to stop the work of Christianity. He was going into churches and, and getting like the church membership roles and then going into the neighborhood and dragging women and children and men out and, and persecuting them. He, he did everything he could to stop the work of Christianity. And Paul meets Christ. And we're going to see this issue of just divine grace, this issue of, of healing grace in Paul's life and then what is offered, what is offered to us. And so I, I pray this morning that you would have an aha moment like I had in my study with the Lord about this issue of grace, and you would be able to understand grace at a deeper level. And so let's just read. We're going to read these five verses together, and then, we're, then I'm just going to walk through with these, these principles. But, and we're going to end up by taking of communion together. And so everything we've done today and worship has been leading and driving us down to this issue of, of coming to the table together, of taking of communion together as a, as a church family. So here's what Paul writes, starting in verse 12. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus, here's the gospel, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. In other words, whom I am the worst. In other words, what Paul was saying, I've got a dark past. I mean, I've got a dark past. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as 
the foremost. In other words, again, in case you missed it the first time, I'm like the worst sinner. What Paul's saying, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example of those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul gives us his testimony. And Paul talked a lot about the past. He talked a lot about some hurts and some things of the past. And, and I think if one thing joins us together this morning is this, is people, as humans, that, that we all have a past. And maybe out of our past we have some hurts and we have some pains and we have some wounds and, and we have some disappointments. I think the deepest pain or the deepest wound that an individual can have is just the, the, the wound of rejection. Whether you're rejected by a mom or you're rejected by a dad or you're rejected by an ex-spouse or you're you rejected by a, a so-called friend or rejected in a relationship, rejected by someone in a position of authority or trust over you, that sometimes the deepest forms of rejection or the deepest forms of pain and wounds that we can carry out of our past is this issue of rejection. And I think a lot of times the reason, listen, the reason that we have trouble in understanding grace and understanding grace at the depths is because we live in a free market society. And, and this isn't a political statement at all. It is just, it is what it is, and you just got to understand the culture in which we live. That we live in a free market society. In a free market society, it's all about a it's all about a contract, right? A free market society is, is competition and, and dominance over the other person and it's it's perfection and performance and it's it's individualism and everything about a contract is this, is that it's just an agreement between two autonomous individuals. But listen, a contract never brings intimacy and a contract never brings trust. See, this relationship that we have with Him is a covenant. And a covenant is not built on, on, on a contract. It's built on a, a vow. It's built on this vow. It's this covenant that we enter into with Him. See, a contract is this. A contract is you do this and I'll do this. If, if you don't do this, if you fail in this area, if you're not perfect in it, this area, then here are the consequences. And as a result of that, because of a free market society in which we live, we come to Christ and many times we look at grace or we look at God through the lens of a free market society, through the lens of a contract. And that's why we have such a hard time understanding grace, I believe. That we don't understand it's a covenant. Based upon a vow based upon a relationship with Christ. And this is what happened to me, verse 12. Watch this. And so let's just walk through these principles together. The first one is this, that is offered to every one of us in Christ, is the first one is this, is that He enables me. He enables me. I mean, He, he offers this to every one of us in Christ. And there are four principles that we're going to look at this morning. And the first one is this, is that he enables me. Now, verse 12 is the moment that, like, God just rested in my study this last week and just settled there. It was one of those moments that, that it was just like an aha moment for me. And so here, here's what the Scripture says, and they're going to leave this verse up a little bit longer uh, this morning just as we walk through this. And so Paul says this. Paul says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he, so important, because he, so the order's important. Because he judged me faithful, then appointing me 
to service. And like God just rested there because this order is so confusing to me. Because this verse says that God judged him faithful, then appointed him to service. But I just, I just asked the question, and we should, we should engage the Scriptures. And so I just ask a simple question to the Lord, and I just ask a question of, of how in the world did God, how in the world did you judge Paul faithful before Paul ever served in ministry? I mean, how, how, did, how, did, you, how did you judge him faithful? See, a free market society, a contract is this. I'll appoint you to service. I'll place you in ministry. And then a year or two or five years later, I'll judge you whether you're faithful or not. See, that's a contract. That's not a covenant. A covenant is this. A covenant is that. God judged Paul faithful on day one of meeting Christ. God judged Paul faithful before Paul ever served in ministry. I mean, we're talking about Saul, who persecuted Christians, who had murdered, who did everything he could to stop the work of Christ. And when he meets Christ, day one, God says, I, I judge you faithful? I mean, isn't that backwards? I mean, I mean isn't that... Isn't that backwards? Wouldn't, before you judge someone faithful, wouldn't you want to see how they perform? Wouldn't you want to see how they served? I mean, you talk about radical grace. You talk about healing grace. How can you make a judgment on a guy or a girl's performance before they ever perform. In the Greek, that word judge me faithful is actually just one Greek word. And that Greek word means this, highly esteemed to put in a place of honor. That's like you accepting a job as a salesperson. And on day one, before you ever sell anything, before you ever sell a car, before you ever sell a house, before you ever cut a contract, before you ever do anything on day one, they give you, they give you the salesperson of the year award. I mean, you talk about radical grace. See, God saw Paul not as he was, God saw Paul's potential. See, the world at that time saw Paul or Saul as an adversary. But God believed the best in him. That's why we, listen, that's why we should believe the best in one another. God believed the best in him. And God did not see Paul as the way the world saw Paul. God did not see him as an adversary. But God saw him, his potential, God saw him as an apostle to the Gentiles that would one day write two-thirds of the New Testament. See, God's plan for you and God's plan for me is always based on our adequacy in Christ. See, God, listen, God sees, I'm telling you this morning, regardless of the wounds that you're carrying, 
regardless of the disappointments that you're, regardless of what your past look like, I'm telling you, God sees in you what nobody else can see. And everybody around you in your circle of influence may be sending you messages or may be reflecting things about you that really aren't who you are. And they may be saying things about you that you're, you're unlovable or that you're, 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 you're worthless or that you're unloved or you're unwanted or you have no value or you have no significance in life. But I'm telling you, when you're in Christ, do not believe that for a second. That is not who you are. If you're in Christ this morning, by His grace, He's already judged you faithful. Telling you, that's grace. That's grace is not built upon a contract. That is grace that is the basis, is a covenant that is based on a vow. And listen, a covenant brings intimacy and trust and a relationship and like a like a friendship and I'm, I'm so worried that some people are believing what others say about them rather than what God says about them uh, I don't know if you guys remember it I don't even know what they're called maybe by the fourth service I'll know uh, you, you know those mirrors at like uh, like carnivals, you know, that you go to, they, they distort the image, right? You know, you, uh, you, you stand in front, the fun zones, we used to call them fun zones at carnivals, state fairs, whatever, and you stand in front of this, this mirror, and uh, it, it would it'd make you fatter than you really are. No, I probably said that wrong. <laughs> I am so sorry. <laughs> I need to have more notes. Oh my God. <laughs> you know how you stand in front of those mirrors and you're really skinny and you look fat? <laughs> it distorts your face, right? Uh, this, 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 this summer, the Junior League did something to the art center uh, for kids, so we took the. <laughs> So we, took, so we took the grandkids there and we put them in front of those mirrors and like it totally freaked them out because it never they you know they didn't get it and they're like ah and so it, it's like you know elongates their face or whatever and so anyway so that mirror reflects back to you something is not correct about your image right okay there are some people that could be around you that are speaking into your life and they're reflecting back to some they're reflecting back to you that is not accurate that is distorted and they may be telling you that you're unwanted or you're unlovable or you're unforgivable or you're a failure or you have no significance or anything like you have no value whatever but don't believe that for a second I'm telling you Saturday morning Karen and I were life journaling together and she looked over at me and she says, you know, it just seems like in this season of life, season of, of ministry, that I seem to be highlighting words more and more in Scripture about what God says about me. That God's Word says things like in Christ, positionally. And you're, you're, you're a saint. In Christ, you're, you're, you're His friend. See, it's not a contract. It's not based upon performance. In Christ, you're, you're, a, 
you're, you have a relationship, you're a friend. The Scripture says you're, you're joint heir with Jesus Christ. It says that, that you're a child of God. It says that, that you're heir of a, of a kingdom. It says that you're, you're fully, fully accepted and, and you're His beloved. Scripture says, listen, Scripture says it's just so wild. You talk about grace. Scripture says you are His prized possession. The righteousness of God in Christ. And I'm so concerned. Some of you don't understand grace because you approach grace and you approach God through the lens of a free market, contract-driven society. And you don't understand a covenant. And I'm so worried that some of you are believing what other people are saying about you instead of believing what God says about you. Never forget, in 1981, uh, I was at a church in in Houston working in engineering and and, um, new Christian, and and so our our church needed needed some volunteers. That's what they called them there. And they needed some volunteers that would go serve, uh, take some, they especially needed some eighth-grade boys sponsors to take them to, uh, to summer camp or what is also known as purgatory. (laughs) <laughs> with eighth grade boys and so and you're, you're going to spend a lot you're going to spend a week with like eighth grade boys and so you know what I, I wanted to serve God and, and I didn't even know if I could and so but I said you know what I'm going to sign up and they accepted me and so I went to Palacios, Texas they're in South Texas and there were like three to three or four hundred kids at this camp and, and I was an eighth grade sponsor and so I was there just kind of doing my thing it was weird for me because here I am an adult and this is my first summer camp church experience I, I never did that and so on day three the, the the camp pastor came to me and said hey uh after dinner tonight uh when the kids are having free time could, could i talk to you i said sure i honestly thought i was in trouble i thought i am getting kicked out of my own of my first camp experience and so i'm trying to figure out what did my kids do what did i do wrong and so i, I met with this pastor and he looked at me and i, I had very very few conversations with him and he just looked at me, his name's Gene Prince, and Gene Prince looked at me and said, hey, listen, I, I just got something, I, I just got to be obedient to God, I got to tell you something. I know you're in engineering uh, profession right now, but, but I, just, I just want you to know that I, I believe God has given me a prophetic gift, and I, I just need to tell you that God's going to call you out of engineering, he's going to call you into the ministry, and one day you're going to lead a people group and uh, in a movement. And so I, I started laughing. And he goes, I'm serious. And I says, me too. And <laughs> you, don't, you don't know my past. See, I, I thought I was disqualified for ministry. You don't know my past. And he says, well, I'll tell you this. God's already taken care of your past. And all, all I can do is just be obedient and so he says so I, I need your contact information so we can stay in touch over the years and I, I, I just want to see if this is accurate so the, the, listen so the first thing is this is he enables us the second thing is this is he strengthens us when we understand grace and we understand his healing grace he strengthens us verse 12 again and we're, we're going to stay on this verse because I'm telling you this verse has taught me a lot about this issue of grace I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. In other words, what he's saying is you belong to God. In Christ, you belong to God. 
fact is, First John, First John four four. We don't have the scripture, but First John four four simply says that you you belong to God when when you meet Christ, you you come into the family of Him uh, of God, and you 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 belong to Him. And so, a lot of times in this in a in a, in a free market society, a contract perfection driven performance driven society a lot of people tr- have trouble finding value right and listen, listen just real quickly money money was never developed to determine your self-worth or your success money was only developed for ease of trading of goods and so in a free market society we we have trouble trying to figure out our value and we get it confused with our self-worth with our net worth and there's no correlation. And so you, you look at this and you realize that, that there's, there's a couple of ways to de- determine value. When someone appraises something, there's a couple of ways to determine value. Uh, it's two questions. Uh, who, who owned it? Who owned it before? And then what will the market ba- bear or what will someone pay for, for that item? For instance, like this, this jersey. This jersey, I don't know how much it's worth. But I can tell you this, that if John Elway had have actually worn this jersey in a football game and he had taken the back of it and he had signed it across the number seven and it was like really his, his signature, not someone on the Internet, you know, uh, just cranking them out, but it, that it was really his signature, that this, this jersey would be worth multiple times more than it's really worth just because he owned it. And let me tell you something. You know what grace is? You belong to God. He owns you. Man, you're, you're His. The other way to assess a value that appraisers use, whether it's a house or whether it's a car, is what, what will someone pay? What will someone pay for that? See, your house, it doesn't matter what your house appraises for. It doesn't matter what your car appraises for. You know what matters? How valuable your house is? What really matters? How much money someone's going to give you for that car? How much money someone's going to give you that house? And so, so it's how much someone will pay for it. And 1 Corinthians chapter 7, we don't have time to turn, but 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it says, it says that you, you've been bought, and you've been bought by uh, and paid for by Christ. In other words, it, in other words he, gave his, he gave his life. And because of that, you, you belong to him. Fact is, the greatest ransom ever paid for someone was, was, was Christ paid for us, for the forgiveness of our sins. And God says that you are, you are so valuable to me that I sent my one and only son that lived a perfect and a sinless life that went to the cross for you. Listen, let me tell you something. You want to know your value? Look at the cross. Look at the cross and what Christ did for you. And when people say that you're worthless or when people say that you have no value and you're a failure and you'll never amount to anything, you remember the gift of grace, the gift of salvation that says when you have accepted him, that says, listen, God's, God's already judged you faithful. And I don't know about you, but that makes me want to please him and press into him even harder. Because he's judged me faithful. Listen, just real quickly, theologically, everyone has been created, everyone is created by God. But everyone does not belong to God. Everyone is created by God, but not everyone belongs to God. 
Only those that have accepted Christ, entered into a relationship with Him, belong to Him. And because you belong to Him, that you have value and He strengthens you, the third thing is this, is that He empowers me. And He he comes to this place and, and He empowers me to do the things that He's called me to do. To live the life that He's called me to to live. And some of you may believe like, like I did in, in 19, 1981. I've been there. I've lived that. Listen, it took me 14 years to finally surrender and go into ministry. I've lived there. I've, I've, I've lived through that experience. And some of you may believe that God can never use you because of your failures and because of your mistakes. And listen, let me tell you something. If anybody had a horrendous enough past that would disqualify themselves from ministry, it would have been Saul, who later became Paul. But God, God used him. That's why we'll read 13, but we're going to pick up verse 12 so we just keep the context. He says, I, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly, formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. In other words, Paul's spelling out this issue of healing grace. And he, here's the difficulty. Here's the difficulty Paul had. Here's the difficulty we have. Uh, Paul remembered his past. I mean, Paul spelled it out. Paul remembered his past. He remembered his sin. He remembered his failures. He remembered his hurts. He remembered his wounds. Oh, and can I tell you, not only did Paul remember his past, Paul unfortunately had people around him that kept reminding him of his past. Isn't that what's difficult sometimes? And so Paul had a group of people. Fact is, Paul comes to Christ, and God sends some apostles. Hey, go disciple. Go disciple Paul. Nobody wanted to go. They're playing rock, paper, scissors to to, to see who loses to have to go talk to Paul because they thought it was a setup. See, they didn't even believe Paul changed. They didn't believe it was real. They didn't believe it was genuine. So Paul remembered his past. People around him remembered his past. You don't talk about radical grace? God did not remember his past. It's not that he couldn't. It's what the Scripture says. God chose to forget Paul's past and listen your past in Christ is covered by the blood and God chooses to forget or to not remember your past anymore Psalm 103 12 says this says as far as the east is from the from the west so far does he removed our transgressions from us in other words what he's saying is this is that you'll never meet your sins ever again north and south meet east and west don't won't ever meet If you walk around the globe and you're heading east, you will always be heading east. Or you'll always be heading west. East and west never meet. There's a reason he chose that. In other words, what he's saying, guess what? Just as the east and the west don't meet, you will never meet your sins again. Why? Because they're they're under they're covered. Man, they're 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 under the blood. That moment that you give your life to Christ, you get this whole new life, and your past is covered, your present is covered, and your and your, and your future is covered. And see, the, your past... Let me put it this Your past may be in your memory banks, but your memory banks no longer belong to you. They belong to Him. 
and he's covered them. That's why 2 Corinthians 5.17 just simply says, Therefore, if anyone, if anyone is in Christ, man, he is a, he, he, he's a new. She's a new creation. The old, the past, the old's gone. The old has passed away. And behold, the, the, the new has, has come. The fourth and the last thing that is offered to us is he energizes us. He energizes me if you want to make it personal. Verse 14, here's what the, here's what the scripture says. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world. This is, okay, so this is the gospel to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Man, you, you just look at Paul's ministry and you realize how God energized him or gave him the ability to do what God had called him to do. Verse 12 in the New King James Version, I just love the way that's rendered. And here, here's what it says. He says, I think Christ Jesus our Lord who has enabled me because he counted me faithful. Here's grace putting me into ministry. I'm telling you, you understand God is the one that has put me into ministry, not man. You will fear no man. When you understand that, you know what? It's God who judged me faithful. It's God who put me into ministry. Then you understand this issue of grace, and you just you press into him that he's the one that enables me. I mean, I'm telling you. God is the one that enables us. God is the one that energizes. God is the one that resources us. And that's why he calls us to do things individually and as a group that we could not do on our own. But him living through us, Paul was that way. Paul did a lot of things that he could not have done on his own that he was not capable of doing. And the reason is this. Watch this. Verse 17, here's the reason. To the king of, of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Listen, the reason that God calls us to do things that we cannot do on our own is because when we do those things, God gets the glory and not man. If you sit around and just do things that are within your strength, within your comfort zone, uh, with, within your abilities, then guess what? Man gets the credit. But when you're willing to understand that it's God who put me into, in, into ministry, God who judged me faithful, it is God who energizes me, it is God who resources me, it is God who enables me to do what he has called us to do. And when we do that individually, when we do that together, guess what? God is the one that gets the glory. God is the one. It's this difference. Listen, it's this difference between contract and covenant. We're not in a contract with God. The basis of a contract is distrust. A covenant is a friendship and trust. There's a reason. There's a reason why we celebrate communion. We celebrate the Lord's Supper. And he always talks about a covenant. Our, our servers are going to make their way to the back as we get ready to, to take of the bread and take of the juice. Scripture talks about this issue of 
communion. And there, there's a reason. I'm just going to tell you, there's a reason in Scripture that whenever we come to the table, whenever we come to the Lord's table, we talk about this issue of a covenant. Because God wants us to understand that, guess what? We are in a covenant with Him that is based on a vow. It's based on intimacy. It's based on, on trust. It is based on His character and His performance, not ours. And that should make us want to press into Him even more. That should make us want to live just faithful lives because He's already judged us. Faithful. See, a lot of times when we talk about the judgment of God, we think it's something negative that He's going to condemn us or, or He's going to hurt us or He's going to punish us. But here in Scripture, we have where He judged us. And how did He judge us? He judged you faithful. And the Bible says before we take of the bread and take of the juice that we should examine our lives. Listen, at Fellowship of the Rockies, we don't practice closed communion. We practice open communion. That simply means this. You don't have to be a member here at Fellowship of the Rockies to take of the bread and take of the juice. But you do have to meet the biblical requirements, and that is this. That you come to the place in your life to where you've accepted Him and you have a relationship where you know you belong to Him. The Bible tells us that before we take of the bread and take of the juice, we should examine our lives. Would you just sit before him this morning? And maybe, maybe you should just examine. Maybe you should just remember. He's judged me faithful. And I belong to him. And then in just a few minutes, we'll take of the bread and take of the juice together. Oh, the Gospel of Mark, the Last Supper when Jesus and the disciples came to this moment. It's just so interesting to me all through the Scriptures and when you study the early church that at this moment they always talked about the covenant. I think there's a reason for that. I think the reason is you can't understand grace until you understand a covenant that we're in with Him. And so Jesus says these words to the disciples in their this moment and so he said so he's so, so the scripture says verse 22 as they were eating jesus took bread and after 
blessing it, broke it, and he, he gave it to them. And then Jesus said, take, in other words, receive, this is my body. Now the bread didn't become the flesh or the body of Jesus Christ because he was still in the flesh when he spoke these words. It was just symbolic. This bread that you're holding in your hand is just symbolic of the body of Christ. And then verse 23, and Jesus took a cup, and when he'd given thanks, he gave it to them. And they all drank of it. And then he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant. We're in a covenant together. We're in a relationship together. It's based on a vow. I have already judged you faithful. You are mine. You belong to me. You're precious. You're my prized possession. You have value. And this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it in the new kingdom. Such an amazing thought. Do you realize? Jesus is waiting communion in heaven on us. He's waiting to take of the bread and take of the juice until all the believers are gathered around the throne. And that will be the next time that he takes communion. He'll lead us through that. But in the meantime, the local church is gathering and taking of the bread and taking of the juice just to remember that we're in this covenant with him. And we are, we are his. And we are his. Before we take of the bread, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. We just thank you for your grace. Father, we thank you. We just thank you that we are yours. And Father, we thank you that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, on our behalf to the cross that paid the price for our sins. And Father, we thank you that we're in this relationship with you and that in Christ we are perfect and we are holy and that we have the righteousness of Christ. And Father, may it cause us to lift like that. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Would you take with me, please? Scripture says that Jesus also took the, the cup, which the juice is just symbolic of his blood. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there'd be no forgiveness of sin. And because of his sacrifice, we have forgiveness of sin. In other words, our past is under the blood in our present and in our future. Before we take of the juice, let's pray together. Father, we just we thank you. Father, we thank you for grace. We thank you for healing grace. Father, I, I just pray this morning that as, as we take of the, the juice that we understand the depth of forgiveness that is offered to us. And may that, may, that, may that heal our wounds, may that heal our past, 
May we understand what it means to be forgiven and may we walk in that. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you take with me, please? Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? Let me just ask you, what is God saying to you? What is God saying to you as a result of His Word, as a result of His message? Do you know who you are in Christ? Do you have some hurts or some wounds or some pains of the past? Would you allow Him to bring healing in your life, to understand what a covenant is? Maybe you're here this morning and you say, you know what, I, I just... I, I need prayer. I got this thing I'm going through, walking through a situation. You may have a burden for yourself. You may want prayer for someone else. It may have to do with what I just talked about the last few moments, or it may, it may have something to do totally different, and that's okay with us. If you need prayer for any area of, our, of your life, we want to pray for you. So in just a few minutes after I pray, we're going to stand. And when we stand, if you need prayer, as you stand up, would you make your way down to the front? You don't need to be embarrassed that you need prayer. Paul needed prayer. I need prayer. Every one of us needs prayer. Listen, God's already judged you faithful. You're just trying to learn how to appropriate that in your life. So if you need prayer, after I pray, we stand. You come. We'll have prayer partners here. You don't have to walk alone. They would love to add their faith to your faith and encourage you and comfort you and support you this day. Father, we thank you for your love. We just thank you for your grace. Father, we thank you that you have judged us faithful. And Father, we just ask that you'd pull this church very closely to you, that we'd just be, we'd feel free, we'd be willing just to respond to you. And that we'd find comfort and support and encouragement through prayer, through the ministry of someone else as we minister one to another. Father, we look forward to see what you're going to do. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.